The High Sparrow says he was he was very suspicious because he's never met anybody so pleased to be guilty. And you can even, you could just, you could just, I could just see that scene of Sir Rosny going in, yeah, this is what I did. Yeah. <laughs> and at this moment, the letter arrives from Cersei and Jamie just throws it in the fire. Threw it on the ground. <laughs> He's not a part of her system. Is it? Have you got inside information? Has George been writing a story about me without me knowing it? Am I about to bite it? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the tenth and final part of our read-through of George R. R. Martin's A Feast for Crows. It's the fifth book, Dave, in the Song of Ice and Fire series. Is it? Is it not the fourth? It's the fourth book, Dave, in the Song of Ice and Fire series. <laughs> yes! I fucking love doing this podcast for that reason. It's actually, technically speaking... It's the fifth book on my shelf because my storm That's of true. My, my storm of swords is split into two books. But That's yes, but for all intents and purposes, it is book four of a song of ice and fire, <laughs> <laughs> and it's part ten of our um, intense and uh, forensic look at uh, a feast for crows. Uh, we've had some ups and downs, to be to be fair, throughout this book. Um, <laughs> But now we've come to the end, and let's let's see what we uh, what we make of the final bit. If you're reading along with us, we're going from this chapter about Brienne um, having a nightmare, uh, which is a marginally better place than she was last time, which seemed to be dying. And um, we're going as far as the end of the book, of course. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. That was a late introduction for you, wasn't it? A minute in, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you see, we too much talking. Too much talking, yeah. not enough introducing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so Brienne. Brienne, Dave. Brienne. Were you surprised you... to see this POV character pop up again after <clears throat> uh, it seemed dying last time or so? Well, given that, given that we're in a story universe here where even if somebody actually, genuinely, properly dies, they probably can come back. Mm. Um... I wasn't too surprised. Although, I mean, if if that's what's happened here, that would be the first time that a POV character has died and then come back, and we get it from their POV. And I've, I've got mm. to tell you, if George decides to crack that out for the purposes of uh, of the next book, I will be overjoyed. Can you imagine? Imagine somebody dying, becoming a White Walker, and then it's through their eyes. <laughs> that would be super Brains. cool. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Brains said Jamie. Brains, brains, brains. <laughs> Brains, brains. <laughs> he felt um, cold, but somehow happy about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it turns out she was only grievously wounded last time. Um, so she is. It's funny here because she's a prisoner, and mm. she's sort of she's having these fever dreams because she's very, very sick. She's still on her deathbed, but still alive. Mm. And um, you sort of you piece together what happened through sort of the next few pages really so we find out that pod's still alive as well um she's yeah she's having these nightmares which seem to be full of dead men um she's always surrounded by all these these men she's either served or fought and who are now dead yeah. and we can actually add biter to that because she she fights him in her dream and um and when she wakes up later on she finds out that he has been killed um oh. I immediately assumed that the people who caught her were these bloody mummers, but it turns yeah. out 
they're not. Uh, they've all been killed, and it's the Brotherhood, or what's left of the Brotherhood without banners. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, George Martin is perfectly capable of leaving a plot line for a book and a half, you over a thousand it. pages, and coming back to it because he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> so she's. Uh, I mean, the last time we were with the Brotherhood without banners, they were this sort of happy-go-lucky Robin Hood style trying to help out the small folk yeah. group. Um, a lot of the sort of heart seems to have sort of, I don't know, bled out of them now uh, because they seem much harder, don't they, and much less merciful. Yeah, what this is is the, the gritty, dark reboot, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. of the story. You know, it started off all kind of, you know, we're man, manly men, men in tights. Uh, and now it's gone to whatever the dark interpretation of the Robin Hood story is. Actually, mm. in many ways, I think the whole of the whole of Game of Thrones is a sort of dark take on that story to a certain yeah. extent. But yeah. yeah, I mean, shit's got real. Like they're all just they're, they're they're just sitting around, filled with sorrow, you know, singing emo songs about why nobody loves them anymore. I think it's more filled with anger. They just they just want to. You know, kill people now. The, yeah. the even the sense of as we find out as we go for, through the chapter, even this sense of they, they were sort of born out of a sense of justice for the little guy, weren't they? Yeah. And it seems to have moved along to just now just killing anyone who's a Lannister or anyone who sort of may have been responsible for some of the bad stuff that's been happening. It's all about revenge yeah. now. I suppose yeah. that. Um, it reflects who's leading them because Beric was all about justice and Lady Stoneheart, as we find out, is all about revenge. Yeah, uh, yeah no kidding. It, it's quite funny. They, so they take in Brienne and Pod and Sir Hyle, it turns out, later on to, uh, to Lady Stoneheart for sort of judgment to decide what to do with them. Yeah. And uh, Lady Stoneheart's described as Lady Stoneheart, for a start, uh, Silent Sister, Mother Merciless and the Hangwoman. And um, if you were if you were Brienne's defense lawyer and you knew who was going to be on the bench, which the, who's the, which who's the judge going to be today? Oh, is it is it it's Lady Stoneheart, also known as Silent Sister, Mother Merciless, and the Hangwoman. We've had it. We've had it. Game over. Sorry, I'm out. I'm out. Best of luck, love, but no way. That woman's mental. Yeah. She's been known to spray it around the courtroom. It's not just you that will get it. It's me. It's the lad sitting behind me. It's the tea lady. It's everybody. <laughs> yeah, um, we we sort of don't explicitly know that this is the form of Brotherhood Without Banners until later on, but you get sort of clues through. One of them's this bloke who's taken the Hound's helmet, um, mm. which is, and he's wearing this yellow cloak. And if you remember from way back when, that would be uh, Lem, like that sort of big burly knight who was uh, always getting sort of, I suppose lightly made fun of throughout sort of by the other members of the Brotherhood before. He's sort of this yeah. hulking, miserable uh, bloke who seems to have a bit of a sort of bit of a you know, miserable guy with a heart of gold before. Um but maybe the heart of gold's disappeared now. Yeah, um, he's he's just gone all to shit, hasn't it? Like yeah. particularly Lem, actually, you've got to say. Like mm. yeah, he was he was I mean he was nice ish before, you mm. know, bit of a lad. But yeah. now now he's just like, yeah, I wear the hound's helm because killing people, killing people, yeah. killing people is awesome. Like, whoa, what the f- 
It's, you know what I mean? It's like it's like um, it's like Little John. Uh, I mean, this is like this in my brain. This is a little bit like the Disney Robin Hood turning into something else entirely. Mm. You know. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. It's um, it, it's very much just a sort of a, a dark. I suppose it's what would happen to Robin Hood if uh, he just constantly were getting beaten down by the sheriff of Nottingham, and uh, you know all the people he cares about have been killed. They'd just yeah. be like, right, okay, well, it's all about the revenge, then, isn't it? Actually, you know what? That is a good point, which I hadn't thought of because I was just kind of lamenting the turn of these characters, you know, and this kind of sense of utter desolation amongst this group of people I previously quite liked. Um, but that's a really good point. This this is a fairly accurate depiction again of well post traumatic stress I think you know what I mean like the the kind of the changes in personality that can occur when people live in violent and insecure situations for a long time. Yeah, I mean this is uh, uh, summed up really towards the end of the chapter. Someone like I think it might be Brienne says to Lem, you know what what do you want? And uh, he says, I want my wife and kids back. Or I want yeah. my wife and daughter back, and that you know, yeah. it's people fighting for nothing now, other than revenge. And this, I suppose, this is this is what happens. So, uh, Brienne wakes up in this uh, rocky cavern, and she's being cared for, which makes you give it have a bit of hope, thinking maybe maybe she's not completely screwed here. Someone's bandaging her face up and her arm and stuff, mm. um, and she's with Thoros of Mere who appears to be the, the one member of this brotherhood who's still got a bit of humanity left. Yeah. Um, he still seems to be uh, have some kind of empathy. Yeah, but he just seems to be drifting along with what everybody else is doing, you know? Like, yeah. he previously, he was this kind of hard-drinking, hard-drinking spiritual badass. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like like a really interesting character that I kind of wanted to spend time around, but now he just seems to be like, yeah, everything's lost. Everything's meaningless. Mm. Come on, yeah. come along and see Lady Stoneheart, you know. like, And that's <laughs> that's the lad who's on your side. Yeah. We, we find out from Thoris how they've got to this stage, which basically is they came across the twins and found basically Caitlin's rotting corpse which is about three days old yeah. and um, Thoros wouldn't try and bring her back but Beric did and in sort of basically his light or his life passed on to her so he died so she could be resurrected um, so what's going on in his brain there because it's not like he was terribly close to the Starks or the Tullys mm. right no he was uh, I, mean, I think from what I remember he was a marcher lord so he was sort of one of the, uh, I think the marches are between Highgarden and Dawn. Yeah. So he's sort of, yeah, he's from around there. And and so he's no particular reason, but he's, I mean, is there any good reason for this that you can imagine? Or is it just, I have to bring back Catelyn Stark and this is how it has to have been done? Hmm. The only connection really is the, it was Ned Stark who sent Beric on this mission originally against the Lannisters. Yeah. And maybe it's sort of an extended sense of, you know, like I said before, Beric's all about dispensing the justice. And yeah. he t- he sort of goes to the place of the greatest injustice of the series and tries to fix things. I don't know. It, it is yeah. a strange motivation. I, I struggle to find a strong motivation for him doing that. Yeah. Especially no, given I mean, his own too. life to do it. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah. And yeah, like we say, the, the the sort of downfall of the Brotherhoods described quite well by Thoris. He says, when men live like rats in a cave, they soon run out of pity. And uh, he also says this line, which I think is a famous line. I'm, I'm sure I've heard this quote before. Uh, War makes monsters of us all, which sounds almost Shakespearean. It, yeah, it, it definitely is the sort of rhetoric that uh, that George George loves a bit of. Hmm. I f- yeah, I feel like I've heard that maybe maybe in like Harren Hall way back when or something, you know. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we said before, Lem has taken the Hound's helmet now, which is seen as sort of a, you know, the people who've worn that before have obviously been almost accursed, uh, horrible killers. And mm. actually, Thoris says that to Lem, and Lem's like, it's got, it's good steel, so, you know, <clears throat> I'm taking it. And Thoris is like, is that is that what we've become then now? You know? Yeah. No, he's thinking, yeah, but that's all we- he says. He just says, yeah. is that what we've become now? Instead of being, I have fought in Malise with some of the baddest assist, fuckest upest warriors in the history of this kingdom, put it the fuck down. He doesn't do that. He just goes, oh, oh that's that's quite a bad thing to do that. Probably yeah, shouldn't do I, that. You know? I, get the, I get the feeling he's had that argument a hundred times before, though, and he's just been uh, worn down. That's very interesting. Because he, yeah. he, he's, the, he's almost like the, the only sane man at the party now, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so what does he do? I mean, it's like all the light in the um, in the Brotherhood's gone, isn't it? Like when, when we were with them before, there was like this guy Tom Seven streams who was playing like songs as they were marching along and stuff. It's like brave, yeah. brave, brave. <laughs> it's just yeah, all the all the sort of all the good part is gone, isn't it? And all they're left with is just this this this. Isn't, I mean, when we came across all those guys, all those hung. Um, bandits who'd uh, attack the salt pans. Mm-hmm. We got. I remember we got that sort of dark thriller for good. Someone's actually dispensing a bit of justice here for what's happened. Yeah. But um, if this is what the justice looks like, you know, it's well, just another dark well, turn. Isn't exactly. It? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Caitlin is brought before. Um, sorry, not Caitlin. Brienne's brought before Lady Stoneheart, and at first she doesn't sort of know exactly who she is. It's this sort of woman in a hood looking at this crown, and yeah. it's obviously Rob's old crown. It's this iron crown with the sort of steel swords. Yeah. Um, yeah. And basically, the case for the prosecution's put forward, and it's it's pretty. It's pretty damning for Brienne to even even for a fair court. Um, she kept saying Jamie's Jamie Lannister's name when she was in fever. Um, she's got a priceless Valyrian steel sword from the Lannisters. Yeah. Um, she's got a piece of parchment signed by King Tommen saying that she's about the king's business. Uh, she's travelling with Pod, who used to be Tyrion's squire. And yeah. Sahail Hunt, who's uh, one of the household knights of Randall Tarly, one of the biggest allies of the Lannisters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Doesn't I mean, look too good. <laughs> I'm not even sure Littlefinger could talk his way out of this one. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it does look pretty bad. And of yeah. course, that's the... I mean, this, this as a little piece of narrative sleight of hand, is, is actually magnificent. Because all the mm. while, you know that Brienne is all about keeping her vow to Catelyn Stark 
but you haven't yeah. really noticed until somebody presents the charge sheet the extent to which he just looks like a Lannister wench. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so it's it's. Yeah, it's really like as you're reading it, your heart totally sinks because you're like, no, 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 and it's a very well done piece of of narrative, kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, this actually, again, I mean, I'm not going to rant too much about the series because I've, I'm angry, but that's for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, but having seen the end of series five, um, it's. It seems to take a very gleeful pleasure in people dying just because. And mm. it's that seemed that people seem to have thought that that was its USP and that we need more of that. Whereas mm. this is surprising because it, it does all the things that novels do, which is like um, narrative ambiguity and uncertainty about what's happening to the characters and pulling the rug out from underneath you in a way that you weren't expecting because somewhere Mm. in the back of your head you've been waiting for these two characters to get back together for a book and a half two books yeah or a book i suppose since it became clear that catelyn was still alive um, yeah or no longer dead um yeah so it's it's like it's you know this was a great piece of sleight of hand actually and i appreciated it even though Mm. as a fan of this storyline i was like no 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 you friends be friends please be friends (laughs) yeah no um so the, the, we have the the big reveal as well. So uh, St- Lady Stoneheart calls Brienne false friend, and then mm. sort of reveals who she is, um, i.e. the the corpse of Caitlin of Catelyn. And um, it's I quite like the description of that, where there's the sort of there's mold like already sort of got sort of living on her face because she's actually you know she really is this sort of pasty white old corpse now. Reanimated um, corpse, yeah. Which talks horrific. to her neck, isn't it awful? Mm. By like reaching up and kind of breathing and like moving with her hand, the hole in her throat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's a. It's a really well. It's a really well realized horror scene. This isn't it. It is some creepy shit. Um, she actually gives uh, <laughs> gives Brienne a chance to sort of save herself by saying okay if you uh you 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 but you know I'll let you go if you promise to kill Jamie she basically says choose the sword or the noose yeah. and because Brienne obviously can't con- uh, can't convince anybody here that Jamie's not that bad a guy <laughs> after all it is um, a bit like somebody turning up somewhere and being like sort of you know what though Himmler misunderstood <laughs> misunderstood let me tell you you know well yeah. no actually, i mean perhaps a better parallel there is albert speer you know the the nazi who said mm-hmm. sorry um mm. you know because that's obviously to this day people are like no you can't accept an apology from somebody who's like that you know that's mm. just simply completely unacceptable whereas some people are like you know at least he recognized that what was done was horrifying mm. um yeah yeah so, but I mean, this is this is the real sort of black irony of this is the fact that um, Brienne is effectively on trial for um, the opposite of what she is, which is breaking her vows, and the thing that finally gets her killed is is this refusal to break a vow because she won't kill yeah. Jamie and she won't say, "Okay, I'll go and kill him just to get away." Yeah. So it's this the whole like. 
at being tied to these various vows she made, including the one to Catelyn, which she hasn't broken still, yeah. uh, is the thing that's got her killed, which is which is a you know a real shame. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway, she she won't choose. So Lady Stoneheart says, "Hang them all." Yeah. Um, and they take them outside, and there's Sahiles there, Pods there, and Brienne. They hang them all from these trees, and as sort of Brienne's being hung, she shouts out a word. Um, any, I mean, this is there's no and of course here. that's any, the end of the chapter. Yeah, any any clue to what that word would be? I have uh, no idea. Even with the book knowledge. I think I think she's going to say the sword. I think she's you know this is the moment where, like all characters who have a, some modicum of like unalloyed positive character trait like honor or hope or love, this is the moment where George is like, nah, that's not realistic. Let's take you through a harrowing experience of giving up all that you once held dear. Um, and so I think that's what's happening. I think Brienne's still alive, but she's gonna she's she's gonna be alive and filled with self loathing. Because, so you, you think know. you think he's done the old double fake out here? He's nearly killed her <laughs> once and brought her back for a chapter, only to nearly kill her at the end of the next one. I reckon that Brienne's still alive, and throughout Dance of Dragons, it'll just be a series of chapters where she appears to die at the end. And then keeps <laughs> that would be up. amazing. So that's what I want, though, is I want George to start spoofing himself to start doing like kind of slapstick death of characters. Like, death of characters played for laughs, since it's clear that in the TV series you can no longer play them for dramatic impact, because ultimately every fucker dies. So you've got to start playing them for the funnies. Brilliant. Okay, so you think that Brienne's making a comeback in Dance of Dragons? We will find out. Uh, next up, Cersei. We're back with the Cersei Meister General. You, and you can't she, call her that, uh, Matt. You can't she, call her the Sursmeister General. <laughs> she, she's finding out that um, Marjorie is now being held by the High Sparrow. Uh, and she's just heard this information. And she is doing uh, her fantastic acting impression of being shocked, appalled, and <laughs> demanding her release. <laughs> <laughs> I found and, uh, this I found this quite entertaining because this this whole plot line was played at much greater length in the TV series than it was in mm. the books. In the books, it's just sort of like, "Yep, the fall of Cersei." Bosh! Mm. George almost almost audibly loses patience with her. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, in ter- the first part of this chapter is the sort of fruition of of Cersei's plan that she's been hatching almost throughout this book and it it sort of it sort of works like a charm because they uh they, they fight they they find out that marjorie's been taken into custody she says oh it can't possibly be true and all this evidence comes out which she's previously set up um mm. in, including the fact they've uh the septons have checked marjorie and found out that she's not a virgin because she's obviously no maidenhead yeah. And um, Cersei knows this is almost certainly because she rides horses so much. Yeah. And apparently that can happen. Yeah. Um, also, Grandmaster Pycel comes out with the moon tea line again, um, which which helps. Grandmaster <laughs> Pycel continues the, the, the interesting spectacle of a very, very elderly man tap dancing on an avalanche. Yeah. But I just kind of love that he's so inept that he just, he's, now he's found this line, he's like, yeah, moon tea. Moon, big given a moon tea. 
Yeah, moon, moon tea, that's me, definitely. <laughs> yeah, of it. sticks with that. Um, so Cersei feels, at the end of this, very pleased with herself. She feels she's broken this prophecy of uh, that, that, that a younger queen's going to come along and remove her because she's sort of, she's fixed that now. And maybe she's the, always, the she's rest... always cackling with joy. Yeah. And the thing and, is that you're like, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> maybe the rest of the uh, prophecy about her little brother killing her and her sons and daughters being killed uh, isn't going to happen anyway. Uh, either now because she's managed to break the cycle, if you like. That's what she feels. Um, <clears throat> she sends the Erin uh, Waters, this guy who's the new admiral, uh, out with the ships to guard the um, the mouth of the Blackwater to stop the Tyrells coming back because he knows that the Tyrells are going to want to come back to King's Landing and you know sort this out and she's yeah. going to try and make sure there's no military force at least in the city yeah. um, she rounds up the other ten accused who have been uh, accused of, uh, of of being involved in these orgies with Marjorie um, accused accused is quite a strong word there isn't it like so much, yeah. like I mean because accused kind of suggests that somebody somewhere saw something saw somebody do something or you know that there is some sort of some <laughs> story is being spun that actually has a, a you know something in the evidence box whereas this yeah. is just like yeah she was having sex with him how do you know she, she was having sex with him <laughs> how do you know oh well I mean she was having sex with him wasn't she stands to reason <laughs> yeah so um Cersei's off to the Sept, the Great Sept of Baylor. Um, there's a there's a horrendous moment here, where Dave, it seems that Boris Bloat might be in the line of fire. <laughs> oh no, no, we can't lose <laughs> Boris. Not that, not that that bright shining hope for chivalry and glorious fighting skill. Don't yeah. you know? Take away whoever you like, Lord George, George, but 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 don't take him away. Don't take yeah. Boris away from me. We might might be worth just reminding ourselves because we haven't seen him for a while. He's the uh, the world's worst Kingsguard of all time. It seems <laughs> he's, he's the world's um, worst knight of all time. I think. Like yeah. I would, I would literally rather have the knight of the red chicken than this fella. <laughs> and she, she's basically, is basically saying, you know, um, there'll be a trial, and if Marjorie demands a trial by combat, then she's going to have to have a Kingsguard, and um, the only two left. Uh, Merrin Trant and Boris Bloat, and guess what? Merrin Trant's going to be ill, so it's going to be Boris. This is interesting. Glorious. Um, this, this Lady Merriweather character, what do you make of her? Um... I don't really make anything of her, to be honest. I've got yeah. nothing there. Because <laughs> she, she's, um, I mean, she she's this. She seems very loyal to Cersei, but I just thought there was an interesting beat here where Cersei says, "Oh, you you've still not brought your son to court," and she's like, "Oh yeah, um, I'll do it soon." And you get the feeling that she she wants to advance for her son, Lady Merryweather, and she's playing this game to sort of for the future, like the same similar ways that Cersei always tells herself that it's for her for her son Tommen. But um, Meriwether's also not entirely trustful of Cersei or doesn't feel safe enough to bring a son to King's Landing. She's trying to keep him away from it as well. Yeah. I just thought that was an interesting little beat for her character that, you know, she's 
she's trying to play this game and get Cersei on side, but also she's she's not all in at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting, actually, isn't it? That like, and I wonder. Well, I mean, knowing what happens in the rest of this chapter, you know, I think this might be the first time that somebody has tried to go fifty percent with Cersei and gotten away with it, because <laughs> because you know, bad things lie ahead for uh, Queen Cersei. Yeah, as we find out. So Cersei visits the Great Sept of Baelor um, and goes to see Marjorie. She goes down to this cell where Marjorie's being kept. Um, from this conversation, I got the impression that Marjorie really is sort of pretty much innocent and um, not that bad. A, we could not spend it. You, you can't really have anything to grasp of Marjorie's character apart from the odd bit of sort of um, the odd bit of dialogue and she's very different to her in the books it seems in the books she's sort of almost as scheming as Cersei isn't she it's two sort of um very politically astute or you know depends what you think of Cersei but two uh, people trying to play politics against each other and maneuver around outmaneuver each other Mm. I do get the impression in the book that Marjorie hasn't been trying to do that at all she's just been sort of ticking along yeah but she is aware of just how malicious Cersei is as well um, mm. She actually goes as far as to. I mean, she she calls her out when when Cersei suggests that there's a trial by combat. Like Marjorie's a step ahead of her. There is like, yeah, I know what you're trying to do here. And in the end, she calls her a a vile, scheming, evil bitch, which was a great moment. I enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, and in the book, that's a real crescendo moment for Marjorie as a character, isn't it? Mm. Um, whereas in the TV series, that would just be like. Because you kind of got the impression that Queen Marjorie was waiting to say that the entire time, mm. um, and I have to say I prefer the series. The, sorry, the book Marjorie mm. because it there's more tension, I think, in it, and it brings out more just how crazy Cersei is. Whereas mm. in the in in the TV series, it's catfight, and I, mm. I just think that's less interesting. Like the idea of the idea of there being genuinely another Cersei is less interesting mm. than the idea of Cersei being so crazy that the moment an- another woman turns up in King's Landing with a modicum of power, she's like, oh, it must be her. Mm. You know, I find the insanity yeah. more interesting than the politics. Yeah, I-, I think it might be part of the fact that it's it's easier to explore that sort of insanity more um, more effectively in a book when you're going from her point of view then in maybe the series would have felt a little, I don't know, uh, a little shallow if we'd have done it that if she'd have done it that way. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think I think the, 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 I actually quite enjoy the the differences in those uh, those retellings of it. Um, she she leaves Marjorie and the High Sparrow's like, come down to the uh, the depths of the Sept with me to have a bit of a prey. And uh, Cersei's like, mm, all right. Then she goes. Um, <laughs> Come into my parlour, said the spider to the fly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it starts off quite promising for Cersei, this conversation, because the High Sparrow agrees there should be a trial. He agrees that the Faith should be the people to sort of judge the trial, which is important because Cersei knows that if it's judged by sort of the king and his advisors, the Tyrells will manage to influence that. It's much harder for the Tyrells to influence the faith, so they're going to judge. And if there's yeah. a trial by combat, the faith agree again that it should be the king's guard that uh, that defend Marjorie, which basically yeah. means Saboros. Yeah. So she's loving that, and um, yeah, 
and then she says, right, well, time for me and uh, Sir Rosany Kettleblack to be going. We'll we'll hold him up at the Red Keep now, thinking I'm going to send him to the wall. Yeah. And it's just this one word from the High Sparrow, no. And Isn't it suddenly Cer- Cersei's like, uh-oh. I think, it's, <laughs> I think it's actually described as, it's like a, sort of a, a cup of cold water being thrown in her face. Yeah. And um, she's taken to see Sir Osney. And he is in a bad state. He's basically been whipped bloody yeah. um, by the faith. He's being sort of held up in chains, uh, stripped naked. Yeah. And um, it turns out that, well, the the High Sparrow says he was he was very suspicious because he's never met anybody so pleased to be guilty. And you can you could just, you could just <laughs> I could just see that scene of Sir Osney going, "Yeah, this is what I did." Yeah, did that. Twice. Yeah. What you gonna do yeah. about it? Yeah. And there's this great moment where he sort of turns around and sees Cersei, and the first thing he says to her is, "You promised me the wall," and that's the oh shit moment. Cersei's yeah. like, "He's he's he's yeah. been talking, and yeah, he's yeah, not been yeah. doing the kind of confessing that we agreed." Yeah. Um, yeah. And now, you have to think, don't you, that there's a couple of quite quite stunning naiveties on display here. The first one is that Kettle Black ever, ever imagined that he was going anywhere near the wall. Like, <laughs> it was like a six-stage process involving quite complicated lies at every conceivable point, and it all depended on Cersei staying in power. Mm. And in order to get his end away, he went along with it. Yeah. So he's an idiot. But the more surprising kind of naivety for me is the idea, the very idea that Cersei was like, yeah, 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 arming all of these religious fundamentalists is definitely going to work out well for me. <laughs> like, that it's yeah. only at this point, when she's deep inside the, as it turns out, really quite well-defended, thick-walled cathedral. Hmm. Or, you know, slightly better decorated fortress might be a better way of putting it. Um, yeah. You know, completely at the mercy of this person who's just looked her in the face and told her no because of power that she gave him. Mm. Like, how fucking stupid do you have to be? <laughs> I mean, it really completely beggars belief. Yeah. Uh, Cersei, at this point, makes a run for it and she gets up the steps but is, is grabbed and uh, over overwhelmed and taken to this cell mm. where um, she gets a bit of sort of I don't know, almost like modern day style torture. This she she sort of gets sleep deprivation where every hour this um, this scepter comes in, wakes her up, and asks her to confess mm. every single hour, and slowly starts to wear her down. Um, Cersei's yeah. sort of waiting for help now. She assumes that someone's going to come for her when they find out that she's been taken, and doesn't doesn't happen. Um, the only person who shows up is Kyburn a, a bit later on, and he tells her that she's going to be on trial for murder, treason, and fornication. Um, I love the very idea that fornication is something you can be charged for in King's Landing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. mother of pearl. Like, who hasn't been fornicating in this in this <laughs> book? Yeah, well, it's true. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that everyone seems to be doing, but everybody also says is a massive crime. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Um, it turns out Sir Harry Swift is now in charge, one of the useless members of her council, who's written to Kevin Lannister to say, come back, we need you. 
<laughs> and um, there's also Randall Tarley and Mace Terrell are riding for the, the capital as well. Basically, it's all kicking off. Someone, yeah, there's a power vacuum, and there's no sense of anyone trying to restore Cersei. It's just going to be somebody else in charge now. Yeah, and I did love the idea of an intra Lannister um, uh, civil war. Yeah, that was interesting to me. Although, as with everything in the last few chapters of the book, I'm like, well, I'm not going to get a battle scene now, am I? So, hmm. you know, I have to wait for next time, or or indeed the time after next time, since apparently a dance with dragons doesn't contain any fucking King's Landing stuff. <laughs> oh no, it, ah, it does. But oh, it, does it? Oh, here's yeah. Here's what happens in Dance with Dragons for a little preview. Um, the first half of that book is just. The Wall and Daenerys and is there anything else? Just Tyrion. those two, and Tyrion, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the second half is everyone back together, ensemble cast again. Oh, oh how so there, so, so there will be a bit more Cersei next yeah. time, but okay. um, right. yeah, works for me. The, the the last dregs of Cersei this time. Uh, I thought this was a another sort of insult to injury. Um, that guy the young guy who she sort of put in charge of the fleet and yeah. got him to go and guard the bay. He's yeah. basically just stolen the ships and, and sailed off. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to admire that sort of moxie, haven't you? That's like <laughs> that's the sort of like high-level criminal thinking perpetrated by the guys who break into like Tesco and then or like who like try and hold up Tesco for the scratch cards. Like, I'm not sure that's the best way of achieving what you want to want to achieve, but that's where the money comes from. So that's what I'm stealing. Yeah, she um. So she she finally tells Kyburn in sort of one last desperate attempt to write to Jamie and to ask him to return to King's Landing to defend her in a trial yeah. by combat. Yeah, and uh, she writes this desperate letter to him, and then she says, you know, he he won't lose not not with my life at stake. And she's yeah. sort of throwing everything on Jamie's shoulders now, and hoping he can he can get her out of this mess. Yep. Hmm. We shall yeah. see. Let's we go to see. Jamie. Let's the next go. Chapter. Uh, Jamie's now inside Riverrun. It's over. The siege is over. Edmure has gone in and surrendered. Can I say called it? it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out the Blackfish has gotten away. Edmure has managed to get him out before uh, before the castle's taken. I want some more Blackfish chapters. He was a laugh. Yeah, yeah. It turns out he sort of slipped out uh, down the river and swam off and managed to get past all the guards. He's such a badass, the Blackfish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, and he's supposed to be quite an elderly elderly dude as well, isn't he? But you get the, he's yeah. like, actually, actually what you'd love to see is a fight between Sir Barristan and, uh, and the Blackfish, wouldn't you? Ooh. Like two badass grandpas against each other. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. It would be great, wouldn't it? Because and the thing is that I, I'm 50 years younger than either of those fellas, and I'd lose. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, oh. <laughs> um, there's this moment with Edmure in sort of the old sort of solo where Hoster Tully used to sort of uh, spend most of his days, and he he sort of Edmure just says about you know some of the memories he has of this place. And he says, "You'll never know how much I hate seeing you in this, you know, in this place." To, to Jamie, how much he yeah. hates Jamie. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I quite like, like yeah. that Moxie as well because Edmure is usually quite kind of like this sort of simpering, 
idiot, not really taking mm. things seriously enough. But I, I yeah. do kind of love that he's like, kind of, you're going to kill me, whatever. Yeah. I hate you. Like, just being really clear about that. Yeah. Someone else turns up here who, um, it's easy to forget she's not dead. Uh, Jean Westerling, who sort oh, of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, remember Rob's old um, wife? Yeah, who the, the, maybe... one, the, one where, the one where he made a bad decision and yeah. the whole realm went to shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so she's there. Uh, it, it's easy to forget that she's alive because in the series, like her version of the characters has died by the stage. Um, yeah. uh, it turns out that her mum, uh, even though Jean was all all in on Rob, and it seems later on that Jean's brother was also very loyal to Rob, yeah. uh, not so not so much her mum. Um, <laughs> it's almost audibly the sound of like of your mum storming into the bedroom when you're a teenager at like ten in the morning and it's a complete mess. Going, I'm gonna, I'm, I can't believe you. I'm gonna have to tidy all of this up. I can't <laughs> believe that's what I have to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now it's. I mean, J- Jamie. It look, obviously, various deals have been done between Tywin and Jean Westerling's mum to uh, advance her other sons and daughters. Uh, as long as she sort of played ball with Tywin, basically, Jean's mum saw this as an opportunity to advance with the Lannisters rather than switch sides to the to the Starks. Yeah. Um, which makes you wonder how big a part she had in the uh, in the Red Wedding as well. Actually, excellent point, eh? Excellent point. Although she does say, you know, if she'd have known that was going to go down, she wouldn't have sent her son up there, who seems to have, we find out later, seems to have died. Um, so maybe she didn't have a great deal to do with it. But one thing she apparently she was doing is, if you remember way back when, when Catelyn was having this conversation with Jean Westerling about um, giving Rob an heir, yeah. and saying, you know, you've got to get on with it. And she was saying, oh, yeah, my mum's making me this special sort of brew which is supposed to help with fertility. Mm. Um, turns out that was moon tea, oh, uh, which cold. does the opposite. Cold. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, hmm. Thanks, mum. What a, what a relationship that is there. I was going to say, that's it. Fucking hell. That's in, in, from a standing start, she's, she's managed to make herself a very, very unsympathetic character. Hmm. And and this is this is the big sort of blow to there is a a group of people who read this book who were hoping and some of them still do I think that uh, this the survival of Jean Westerling meant that maybe she had Rob's heir sort of she was already pregnant and that was going to be the big sort of response from the north would be eventually they find this son of Rob and yeah. they take back the kingdom. I think this is a pretty clear indication of that that's not going to happen. Yeah, and that's sad, isn't it? You'd, you'd probably quite mm. enjoy that. Yeah. But no. Forget it. Anyway. Um, there's also, uh, we also... I thought it was quite interesting how uh, Jean's torn her gown and it's this sort of clear mark of mourning. And she's... Uh, so she's clearly... Um, very defiant still towards her mother who wouldn't be happy with stuff like that. Uh, J- Jamie's actually a bit disgusted by uh, Jean's mum as well, isn't he? He actually ends up dismissing her very uh, abruptly. Yeah. Um, because he thinks that he he hates this kind of underhand politics, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he really does. And again, another sign of why he's 
you know why he's perhaps not the character one might have mm. assumed him to be given his family you know he's just mm. like well i hate this you know he just do you have a sense that he's kind of losing patience with the um underhandedness of it all yeah i think he i think he's uh, i think again it's a bit of uh, his experience with brienne and this idea that there maybe there is another way to do things as well yeah um, which is because i think growing up as the eldest son of tywin um there's a good chance that this is all he's really known the sort of backstabbing stuff yeah. and he thinks sort of vows and stuff are for chumps although he's always been quite idealistic jamie when he sort of joined the king's guard and stuff there's all this stuff about how yeah. He joined it against his dad's will because he thought it was sort of the honourable thing to get to do and stuff. Yeah, I, it's funny. You make an argument for Jamie being sort of similar to Brienne, but just circumstances around him have been so different that he's sort of yeah, he's gone down another path. Yeah. Um, although I would have thought Brienne would be one of the characters who would just let the Mad King get on with it if he decided to burn the city because she said that. You know, She's not I'm, I'm here him. to serve him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, she probably would. First of all, um, but also, I mean, I, I, we, I mean, we did this a couple of weeks ago. I just, I feel like Jamie is is a little bit too. He's never really questioned his his position, his privilege. Mm. So you know, he might have good intentions to be a good person, but when push comes to shove, he has betrayed and stabbed and slashed and you know, uncaringly ridden over the needs of hundreds of other mm. people you know and i yeah. think that i you know i think that's that's very much a part of his character yeah yeah i think you're right um oh we find out that sir Ryman frey this guy who was uh the useless frey in charge of the siege who jamie dismissed and was on his way back to the twins mm. has been killed uh, him and his men have been caught and strung up by i assume the brotherhood without banners um and this is this is interesting because you know jamie realizes they're, they're getting bolder these guys to hang the heir to the twins sort of within a few days ride of riverham yeah suggests that they, they there's very little that they're afraid of doing now um yeah so something yeah. they'll need to deal with also these this pack of wolves is still stalking the riverlands led by a dire wolf which we assume is Arya's old one, Nymeria. Yes. Um, yeah, we do. Although, you know, POV wolf character, please. That's what <laughs> I want. Yeah. But it, it does show that this, um, in general, the, the it's still a dangerous place around here. Even though they're winning the war, the Lannisters, it's still a dangerous place, even if you're on their side. Um, which is interesting. Mm. And speaking of d- danger, Jamie's also continuing his training with Cyril and Payne. Uh, and he's getting better, but he still still effectively gets killed twice during his practice uh, this time. So, you know, he's still nowhere near good enough to beat Cyrillin. Yeah, yeah, very much. Like, and I, and that's actually something that I have sympathy with Jamie for because it's like that's he's really lost. You know, he's basically had his dick cut off, hasn't he? Um, mm. And and you know that's quite. You know that's a, that's something that mitigates against his arrogance in a way his good intentions never could. I don't think. Yeah. Now he uh, we find a bit about Jamie's plan. Now he's going to head back to King's Landing, and um, he's effectively planning to remove Cersei from power. Yeah. Um, this bond's broken completely, isn't it? Absolutely. And, um, yeah. 
and he wants to look after Tommen as sort of his as his secret father now, yeah. um, and sort of do it on his own. And he's, he's also thinking of installing Baelish as Hand of the King. He thinks he might be the perfect guy for the job, which is an interesting decision. Yeah. Um, a couple of other bits and pieces around this as Jamie's setting up to leave Riverrun. Every most of the uh, garrison have been told they can go on the way as long as they don't take up arms against Tully against uh, Lannisters again, mm. or phrase. Uh, Apart from two guys, Robin Ryger and Desmond Grell, who are two of the old guard of the of Riverrun, they decide to take the black, so they're heading up to the wall, uh, which is quite a nice little moment. Yeah. Oh, and Jamie meets this guy, this singer, um, <clears throat> sort of while he's waiting to leave, mm. and it turns out to be Thomas Seven Streams, so yeah. the guy who was part of the Brotherhood, he's yeah. just popped up. What do you make of that? Well, I mean. This would, the last two chapters really were a festival of this sort of thing, weren't they? Of sort of characters mm. that you once heard mentioned quite a while ago. Um, mm. So, I, mean, I quite like the idea of a character coming back. You know, mm. always a fan of, you know, character arcs linking up instead of being abandoned. Um, mm. But also, I mean, is, is this a guerrilla warfare thing? Is this a, has, uh, has Lady Stoneheart sent Thomas Evanstrings over there to do a mischief to the Lannisters, because mm. if so, if good plan, you know that's 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 well executed there. Yeah, because you don't get the impression that this Frey guy is going to rule Riverrun with an iron grip. He's not exactly the most impressive character, is he? Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm. Uh, Jamie has this dream, which may even be a vision, because he. He's told it isn't a dream in the dream, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he's because he's only got one hand, and in his dreams he always has two. Yeah. And it's this woman. Um, I don't know. It doesn't say who it is, but I got the impression this is his mum. Yeah, I got that impression too. From that kind of, uh, you know, she left long ago. Yeah, and she looks sort of like kind of a little bit like Cersei, but yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, he obviously doesn't feel any of the feelings he does towards her. Mm. Um, to be honest, the overwhelming feeling that Jamie has from this is guilt, isn't it? Yeah. I get I get the impression this is the first time he's questioning that um <laughs> the incest and thinking, you know what, maybe I did let everybody down by uh doing that. <laughs> Not the like, time for introspection, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause his mum's like, yeah, Tywin dreamed of having like a a queen and uh and, and a and a really powerful wonderful nights and Jamie's like yeah that's what that's what happened and she's like hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't <laughs> yeah it wasn't though was it <laughs> yeah well Jamie wakes up from that to discover that it's snowing in the Riverlands so winter's well on the way and he's very aware of the fact that they're not very prepared for it mm. um, and at this moment the letter arrives from Cersei saying yeah. please come and help me and Jamie just throws it in the fire. Doesn't give a shit. He threw it on the ground. <laughs> He's not a part of her system. Yeah. What do um, you think? Well, I mean... Fucking hell, first of all. Whoo, drama. But also, also, is is the fact that he's been repeating this line. You know, she's been fucking uh, Lancel and Osmond Kettleblack and Moonboy for all I know. Hmm. that Tyrion said at the end of the last book is that a good enough reason do you think 
for him to have reached this place of being like, nah, fuck her, she can die. Because it's not just about his relationship with her, it's about his relationship with his dad and his family and everything. You know, mm. like this whole idea of, you know, Lannisters always look after one another. Mm. And in doing that, he's not only abandoning, you know, his lover, he's abandoning his sister, he's abandoning his family in that sense. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think the fact that just before this, he's thinking about how he's going to remove her from power anyway, suggests that he sees her as a bit of a lost cause. Yeah. And I wonder how how much does he know about the circumstances from the letter or from what the you know news coming up from King's Landing with it? Yeah. How much does he know about the circumstances surrounding it? Because if he knows about the reasons she's in trouble, that just compounds further this she's been fucking everybody line. Yeah. So you can see why he'd be like, well, I'm not saving you for that. Because <laughs> I know it's true and you've, you know... I can, Yeah, it's, it's... It is a tricky one, isn't it? And I think you could argue it either way, whether or not he's really got enough motivation to do this at this stage. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I, it kind of holds in the balance for me. But, I mean, as, a, as an act, as a moment, it's, like, un- unbelievably dramatic, mm. you know? Yeah. Uh, we move on to the next chapter, which is Samwell. Final one. Final chapter of the book. <gasps> and he's reaching Old Town now on the cinnamon wind. Uh, this is the last dangerous leg to get there because, yeah. as we know, the Ironborn are running amok in that area at the moment. Yeah. And he's, they've got to sort of fight the way through a couple of uh, long ships to get there. And their arrival, they go through almost two separate checkpoints where they're checking out there are no Ironborn on board before they let them into Old Town. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that when this when the second check's happening, this sort of guy gets on the ship and says, you know, we're, we're a bit stuck at the moment. We're just trying to defend ourselves. We've got a big army, but we don't have a navy. Our navy's stuck on the other side of Westeros and we can't get them back because of Cersei. Yeah. And how... You, Sam really gets a sense of how furious Old Town is with with the Crown yeah, for yeah. holding back this fleet, yeah. and the fact that you know if the Crown loses Old Town and Highgarden and the Reach, it's they've had it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's all had over. It. Yeah. yeah, and and that yeah. she doesn't seem to care about that is amazing to me. Yeah, and the fact that even from this distance, Sam can put that together yeah. straight away. But he's, he is a political animal, isn't he? I, I really want maybe 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 the final maybe the final play of this is you know is uh, Podrick and Sam face off for the Iron Throne, <laughs> two political beasts. Yeah, two portly political beasts. Two portly political beasts <laughs> fighting to the death with breaks for lunch. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Sam heads up to um, into Old Town to basically do his enrolment and for university, effectively what this is. Um, and he's, he's sitting sort of waiting to see a an archmeister hmm. when um, this guy, Illyrius, remember him? From way back at the start of the book. Well, this um, is one of the problems with this chapter. No, no, I didn't. No, there wasn't nearly <laughs> enough context for me to have... I, I remember the name, but everything else I was like, oh yeah, was he the one who was... Or was he the one who was... No, <laughs> yeah. hang on, did he do... Is he dead? Is, what? 
So it's clearly supposed to be a really dramatic, oh my god, it's him. But it was just like, uh, um, hi. <laughs> Who are you again? Yeah, yeah it was anyway, exactly that, yeah. Sorry. It's hilarious, also known as the Sphinx. And um, <laughs> so he, uh, but Sam tells his, while he's waiting, Sam tells his tale about Eamon and the wall and the prophecy and all this um, to um, to Illyrius. And, and straight away this guy says, right, we've got to get you to my Archmeister. Come with me. Sam's like, no, okay. They head over to this place called the Raven Isle. Mm. They also meet Leo Tyrell, who Sam recognises because Leo Tyrell's the guy, the really like swaggering, arrogant guy from the from the uh, from the prologue. Yeah, and Sam's like, oh yeah, yeah. Remember me? I'm Sam, the guy everyone used to bully. And Leo's like, yeah, you still look pathetic. Yeah, and he's and... like, actually, kill White Waters, motherfucker. <laughs> I do yeah. love that. Like he, he's all but kind of doing the clicky fingers, movie neck thing, just. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm Sam the Slayer, so, bitch. Yeah, eventually Sam gets to uh, to meet Archmeister Marwin, who's this uh, one of the sort of the, the key guys in Old Town. Uh, he's in this room with the burning glass candle or obsidian candle. Do you remember yeah. there was this rumor that the candle started burning again? This thing that is impossible to light. Yeah. Well, um, here it is, and. Okay, he retells the story again to the Archmaster Marwin, and Marwin seems to think that, well, he says Sam's got to keep this to himself now, because there appear to be, the impression I got from this, it's not particularly clear, is that there are two factions in Old Town, there's the main one, which is these grey grey goats, or grey sheep, who (laughs) have heard about the you know, if they hear anything like these, you know, this prophecy or these things about Daenerys, they're going to try and stop it and um, kill the people who are putting this message out. Yeah. And and then there's Marwin, who's the opposite, and he decides he's going to sh- he's going to sort of sail off and, and and sort of start advising Daenerys and getting her ready for the <laughs> uh, invasion of Westeros. Yeah, I quite like this because it was. Like, Old Town hasn't featured at all so far in the narrative, apart from right at the start of this book. And I've always been a bit like, mm. where is this, like, surely this should be a centre of power. Like, why isn't this part of it? You know, or maybe it's all sort of a bit semi-detached from all of these, like, power struggles and that. Mm. And, you know, it's, I think it's easy to think that of the real-world equivalents of Old Town, like Oxford and Cambridge and stuff. But, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's... Once you go closer, they're just as political as anywhere else, just in a slightly more dusty way. Yeah, and I've, I've really liked that as a kind of as a like a flip reverse. You know, Sam turns up there expecting to learn these kind of dispassionate, disinterested, uh, you know, pieces of information about ancient wisdom and you know and how to care for people properly. And what he ends mm. up in is the middle of a political fight with chains on. Yeah, yeah, and it looks like it's it's this race now between someone from the uh, grey sheep who are going over to cause mischief with Daenerys and this guy called Marwyn who's trying to get over there were a lot of characters at the end of this book from Westeros just heading out to try and find Daenerys aren't there um, interestingly I, I thought the there are yeah yeah and then he calls the next book a dance with dragons by the way mm. uh, yes oh it's a, it's a temptation 
I thought this this little political battle, though, as well in Old Town, was I don't know if this is the direction it's going to go in, but it felt like a almost a mirror image of sort of uh, in 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 our in our history, um, organize like the Catholic Church and organized religions response to science, and this is like the mm. the most scientific guys in this world's response to superstition and prophecy and it's the same it's the same reaction yeah. so when yeah. when um when science came along to challenge the How orthodoxy yeah so when, when science came along to challenge the, the you know, orthodoxy of the church the church tried to suppress it and in this world where yeah. sort of magic's coming back in to challenge the old order of sort of academia and science or yeah. such as it is in this world they try and suppress it and it's as much about power as anything else. Very, very, very interesting. Yeah, I think that's an interesting analysis. Mm. Um, yeah. But we'll see if it goes in that direction. I've no idea. I can't well, I mean, it might be interesting to see if it goes in that direction. But I mean, but my experience so far is if I think it's going to go somewhere interesting, it's probably not going to go there. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, the final part of this, which I nearly forgot to mention, at the very end, um, there's this little chap who comes along to show Sam to his quarters. And it's Pate, uh, also known as the Pig Boy, who, if you remember, again, no, don't from the prologue. Thing. What, what happened in the prologue? Yeah. <laughs> He's the dude who died, what we thought died. Uh, he sort of the, the ground swayed beneath his feet. Yeah, mm. so he was drugged, or was it magic, or has he who been... Who can know? Is he, yeah, well, exa- who can know, and I don't think we're going to find out. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, that is the end of A Feast for Crows. Doesn't come to a particularly... You know, um, there isn't really any reveal. <laughs> it's yeah, just it's not, a few it's more not a questions. Terribly, I mean, Cersei's been taken into into custody, which is a, a, like is a thing. Um, mm. But apart from that, you, you, you definitely have a sense of it's a book that's been broken in half. You know what I mean? Like it's even more so than a Storm of Swords, which was published under the same title but was two books. That actually yeah. reached a crescendo twice. That yeah. was two novels, whereas this, which is actually supposed to be two novels, it's just. What happens? Why, why do we go away somewhere? Um, yeah, it's interesting because at the very end of my book, I don't know if it's in every version. This, but there's a little note from George Martin, yeah, yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah, "Wait, yeah, what know. about what about the other stuff?" Yeah. And he his defense of that is to say, "Oh well, I wanted to write the full story of a few characters rather than half the story of all of them." But it doesn't. Okay, so the prologue and the epilogue, or the prologue and the last chapter, are sort of bookend because you come back to these characters at the start. But it doesn't feel like there's a lot of resolution for any of the characters in no. this, to be honest. No, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like an, an arc has taken place at all. Like, and that's mm. been my problem with the whole thing is it just feels very, very, very meandery and and unfocused. And that's yeah. borne out right up until the last page. And I tell you what, my favourite thing about that that little note from George Martin at the end is is the bit where he says, "Next year, God's willing, <laughs> a, a dance with dragons." Do you know how many years it was, Matt? Do you know how many years it was? <laughs> six years. Wasn't it was it? six fucking years for a dance <laughs> with dragons, as the Axis of Awesome reminded us. Um, yeah. Like, I, I begin to understand the look of extreme rage and frustration on that guy's face in that video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, the good news is, Dave, it won't be six years until we do a Dance for Dragons. Yeah! Have that. Um, I tell you, it might be six before we do uh, um, uh, the Winds of Winter, though, might it? That, 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 <laughs> there's a possibility there, yeah. Um, but look, we're going to do a Dance for Dragons. Uh, we're not going to do it straight away. We are in two minds at the moment. We're either going to do it in six months' time or we're going to run it in um, in parallel with the series again. It's a bit tricky because the series has moved on so much now that it's effectively done Dance for Dragons already. Yeah. So we we might just sort of slip in a 10-part on Dance for Dragons during the next year just to sort of catch up to the series again. Yeah. Um, which might give us a problem if the, <laughs> if the Winds of Winter isn't out by by the time the series six starts but if that happens we will definitely have some game of thrones content to go alongside the series regardless yes it'll either be dance for dragons or it'll be something else yeah um but i'm thinking about getting into the um the the tales of duncan egg the uh yeah, the, could the do that. prequels that'd be good yeah so there'll be more plenty more games of thrones stuff from shark live royal over the next year uh, if you so stay, you won't get if you just subscribe to the Shartlive Royal Game of Thrones feed. This will go quiet for a bit now, but it will kick in again once we return to Game of Thrones. Mm. But if you want your Shartlive Royal fix in the meantime, get yourself get yourself subscribed to just the Shartlive Royal books cast because um, that will be this is the one which we we do we put all our all our book casts out so that we've already got stuff on oh we've got a lot Dave haven't we oh, you're looking at sorts. you know if you like The Hobbit we've done a three-parter on that if you yeah. like uh, Watchmen the graphic novel three-parter on that what other ones have we done so, oh, Pride we and Prejudice <laughs> bit out of left field but that's on there Catcher in the Rye uh, yeah yeah I had a lot of fun doing those books and, um, and many many more and we uh, generally do them shorter than we do Game of Thrones we do Game of Thrones in ten chunks because we love it uh, yeah. regardless of what you may have recently heard us say we do still love it um, but uh, the other books we tend to do in three or four and mm. uh, and it's a lot of fun actually I have a lot of fun doing it yeah so um, I, I assume some, a lot of you listening will already be subscribed to Shark Live Royal which will mean you'll get the full the full service you'll get all these other books yeah. as we go along every week um, but for the people who have subscribed just to Game of Thrones with Shark Live Royal then you're gonna to need to subscribe to the to the other cast to get the to get the extra stuff. So um, next week we won't be doing any more Game of Thrones, but we will be going on to another book. This is partly Dave to do with our recent trips to the cinema. <laughs> Dave, it's time for Shark Liver Oil to take a walk in the park. <laughs> The Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you. That sounded more like a strangled cat. Actually, I have to say, that was that was that was something going very wrong in a veterinary surgery. Is what that was. That was that was not the timeless majesty and awe of T Rexes. But 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 that is captured very well by the book. Let's do it. Great, okay. So um, if you're following the Shark Live Royal podcast, uh, the next few weeks will be uh, our look at Jurassic Park by Michael, Michael Crichton, um, which is an absolutely brilliant book. Uh, it's one of my favourites, so um, looking forward to doing that. Um, and yeah, if you're, uh, if you're just here for the Thrones, then uh, stay subscribed to the Game of Thrones podcast, and we will be back 
uh, sometime over the next year with a dance for dragons. Oh, just before we go, um, before you say goodbyes, Dave, uh, mm. there is a uh, there is something that we said maybe a week ago or two weeks ago that we said we'd come back to at the end about the Valencar theory. Oh yeah, no, I want to hear this. Yeah, because this is this was a new new step for us where we exercised self control and stuck a pin in something and left it to the end. Um, yeah. So right, hit me, hit me, hit me with your theories. If it's Varys no, no, is massive. a mermaid, I will find you and fucking kill you. <laughs> yeah. Not a massive spoiler because we don't really know what happens. But um, this is a uh, this another theory around the prophecy of Cersei. Um, if you don't want to hear it, then switch off now. We'll see you next time. Um, if you want to carry on with us into the into the depths of possible spoiler territory, then come along with us now. But uh, okay. So there's this theory that. Um, the prophecy about Cersei, about the Valonqar, is that her little brother's going to kill her. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. You still there? Yeah. The little bro- so the Valonqar means little brother. Yeah. Now, there are, two, there are two possibilities here. One is... Well, three. One is that it's Tyrion, who is her younger brother. Yeah? Mm. The other is that it just it's just younger brother, and it doesn't actually mean oh. her younger brother. Which could leave the door open for any younger brother. So you're thinking it could be Jon Snow if he's a Stark. Oh. It could be it could be Bran or Rickon Starks. It could be if the Hound's still alive. He was a very famous oh. younger brother. So it opens it up to a wide it, world of other younger brothers. It could be, <clears throat> could be Jamie. Which 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 twin was born first? Cersei. Could be Jamie. This Look is the other one. Yeah. Is that, and I think this is the this is the most likely. Yeah. Especially considering the the direction Jamie's character is going at the moment. Yeah. Some kind of crime of passion of Jamie's. Yeah. Seems more likely than Tyrion. Or even even just by screwing up the note and throwing it away and leaving it to rot. Yeah. You know, could be that yeah. that, that that prophecy has already come. You know, because she was really preoccupied with this prophecy in the last chapter. Mm. And, you know, she's convinced none of it's going to come true. And actually, probably this is. Yeah. Well, that's Valencar. While, we, while we're here, mm. while we're in spoiler territory, shall we just do a, a short book? I'm, I'm going to have to go soon, but a short sort of book series comparison as to where we are. Ooh. And All right. Yes. So, so the series, okay, again... If you don't want to be spoiled for the books, yeah. now we're into now we're into sort of weapons we're, grade spoiler territory. I was going to say so, we're in Matt's bunker full of spoilers. The door is yeah. slammed shut. Yeah, so uh, we are about to reveal the death of a major character here in the series, which may or may not happen in the books. I'm not going to say whether or not it's actually parallel yet. Which is actually my problem with the but we'll get there. Yeah, but please turn off now if you if you again. This is another warning. This is like. Those various, you know, when like you're going down a path towards like a the beast's lair or something in a in a in a Disney film, mm. and there are these signs like danger, loads of danger, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. That's the point <laughs> we're at now. <laughs> okay, so please switch off if you don't want to be spoiled. Anyway, um, yeah. So so John, John, fucking dead in the in the series. What is going on there? Fucking dead in the fucking series. Now. Now, as I've said, my anger with that is that I wasn't surprised. Mm. Because I like John, and the makers of the TV series have made it very clear that if you like somebody, they're going to die. Mm. 
And I was so angry about that. And actually, the whole of the last two episodes, I was just like, I just felt no dramatic tension whatsoever. I was just like, mm. they're dying. Everybody's dying. So, of course, they're going to die. I expect now that characters die. Mm. And that's it. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, but, I, no, I wasn't, no, I would say I wasn't shocked, but I I, uh, I was surprised by it, obviously. I wasn't, I didn't see it coming. Um mm. Uh, I actually, I was pretty pissed they did it in such a peremptory way. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm. just, you know, no battle scene, no, you know, just sign up, traitor, stab, 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 for the watch, Good. in a bit. Good night, Vienna. And that was it. Mm. Well, we shall see in Dance of Dragons well, yeah. if this comes to pass. And, um, you know, yeah. I tend to think the, the real canon is book. So, you know, the series is an interpretation of sort of the real story which is the book but I mean you decided I suppose it depends on which one you watched first or, or read first yeah. Um, yeah. but till next time till next time Matt drama goodbye stay safe don't get your head chopped off by any angry people with swords is it have you got inside information has George been writing a story about me without me knowing it am I about to bite it <laughs> Am I a fundamentally sympathetic character who's about to get... Oh, no, I'm not fundamentally sympathetic. Am I? All right, fine. No, we're, we're okay. We're fine. I'm all right. I'm Ramsey yeah. Snow over they're, here. They're always weird, the end of these uh, last... Uh, so the, the last episode in a series that we've done in a book, aren't they? Yeah. It's sad when all good things come to an end. But uh, we'll, we'll be back uh, at some point in the, in, in, the, in the year, if you're into your Game of Thrones, for some more... For a return to A Dance for Dragons. Or... Um, if you want to sort of stick with us through the rest of the year and you want your other books it's all about the park Jurassic Park next week until then until then see you later Steve (laughs) that's a fucking dinosaur impression (laughs) 